You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. This morning, as we get into this message, we're grateful for those of you who are watching online. Welcome. For those of you who are here, we're gathered together to worship Jesus, and I love to be able to do that in the different ways that we gather now in this kind of of mid, not say post, mid-COVID world that we're living in. Uh, But today, we've also not just worshiped and exalted Jesus through song, but right now, we're going to be equipped through the power of his word. And and the same spirit that inspired the scripture is the same spirit that is going to illuminate the scripture for you as we read and as we look into and dig into God's word. Amen? So we're in week two of our series, Peace on Earth. It's, It's a, you know, given Christmas theme. Yes, but it's so much more than that. It is the inheritance of every believer to have peace. It's the inheritance of all who believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And since we live in a world of constant unrest and upheaval and stress and incessant noise, and not just about oral noise, but I'm talking about kind of, of heart noise and just the noise of the world around us, how is this peace possible? How is this peace that the Prince of Peace said that he came to give and that Jesus said that he was leaving with us, how is it possible? Last week we started off by defining what peace is because it's important, particularly in our day and age, right, to define our terms so that we all know what we're talking about and what we're not talking about, particularly now as it relates to peace. Peace in the world's view, right, is a cessation of war. But biblically speaking, that's not all that peace is. Peace is not just the cessation of war. It's not just the absence of noise like peace and quiet. Peace, biblically speaking, is completeness and oneness between us and God and then between us and one another. Completeness and oneness. We affirm that peace is not just a state of being that we're trying to find and we're trying to look for in nature or in other places. It's not just this this state of tranquility. Peace is actually a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because peace is not just a thing. Peace is a person. And his name is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. In order for you to live at peace with somebody else, you first have to be at peace with God through the person of Jesus Christ. If you have his peace, then you can start solving the conflict that is inevitably going to surround our lives as human beings. We said it this way, you can't make peace till you know peace until you also what? Have peace. You can't make it until you know Jesus and you have Jesus in your life. I don't know what you're making. You're making cookies like Kevin, but you're not making peace. And we have to know this. I've had Kevin's cookies. They are good. He has shared. He's not lying. He does share because if he ate eight pounds of cookies, my man would not be here. He'd be somewhere else. So the place to start if you want peace, the source of peace is the settling of the problem between us and God through our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that happens at the cross. That's where all of this starts. Isn't it amazing that the most violent thing in history as it relates to us is where our peace was purchased? The violence of the cross 
the fight of the spiritual war purchased our peace through Jesus Christ. So before we get into this week's focus, I just thought I would give you a quick uh, New Testament survey of the biblical understanding of peace. Last week we talked about the Hebrew word shalom, which is the basic understanding of oneness and completeness. The Greek word in the New Testament, it's the same idea, the same rich imagery and the oneness. But I just thought I'd give like a biblical overview. I'm just gonna give like the references biblically. You might can look at them later just so we understand how important this is. First and foremost, we understand that peace is the result of God's forgiveness, Philippians 4, 7. Peace is the ideal relational state among believers, 2 Corinthians 3, 11. Or Matthew 5 also talks about this too, is how we relate to one another. Peace is the mark of serenity, John 14, 27, where Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but my peace I leave with you. It's to be sought after. We're gonna talk about this scripture in Hebrews 12, 14, that we strive for peace. Peace summarizes the gospel message in Acts 10, 36, that it is the gospel of peace. Peace is a fruit of the spirit, right? Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It will benefit those that practice it now, James 3.18. And at the second coming, Romans 2.10. And it is the opposite of disorder and confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33, that Jesus came not to bring confusion, but to bring peace. This is a overview, if you will, of just the different references of peace. And we understand that peace is the person of Jesus, but it is also the presence of God not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of God in our lives in the middle of our conflict. Because all of us have it. All of us are going to have it. It's not going away. There's no dove that's gonna fly in here with a little branch in its mouth and we're gonna all experience peace. Now, as, as quickly as that dove flies in, if you make one move, it's flying away. And that's kinda how peace is a lot of times, right? So here's what we need to understand. As I mentioned last week about peacemakers, that peacemakers and peacekeepers are different. And as I said this last week, I got some text, uh, email, and a couple of conversations that I got into, that it, and it was a very similar kind of conversation with some of you after I mentioned the fact that peacekeeping and peacemaking is not the same thing. And, and this is kind of the overarching idea of these conversations was, I didn't really know there was a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Is that's just semantics? I and I think actually I've done a good job of keeping my own peace at the expense of true biblical peace. There's a difference between just keeping the peace and what Jesus said that we're supposed to do, which is to make peace. And if you found yourself struggling with that, it was like, man, I, I don't. I think I've been trying to keep the peace so I could avoid conflict, and it's just been about me and not really being at one with my brother or sister and that completeness that comes with being friends relationally. And I want you to know that when we come to that realization that we're growing emotionally and we're growing spiritually, and we need to. We need to as the body of Christ. So I wanna dive into this a little bit more this morning for clarification and to help us be who God has called us to be, peacemakers. I wanna focus on two main passages, first Matthew 5 and then Hebrews 14. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me, whether you're here or at home, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And this is the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just gonna take this particular verse right now. Jesus says very simply, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. 
Now we've already established that in order to make peace, you must first be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith alone. That's true. You can't make peace until you know and have peace with Jesus personally. That's why Jesus, that's why we need to understand, that's why Jesus is not saying that in order to become a child of God, in order to become a son of God, that we have to make peace. Because the Beatitudes are descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not prescribing what you need to do in order for this to happen. It is describing who we are because of what Jesus Christ has already done. It's describing what the children of God look like. He's simply saying that sons of God are in fact peacemakers. Peacemaking in its very definition is one who makes peace by reconciling people who are at odds or in conflict. That's what a peacemaker is. Let's further define that a little bit. Peacemaking is the honest accounting of the state of affairs to give us a baseline foundational level for understanding and empathy. Now, here's why we don't do often do well with peacemaking, is that we stop before we ever get to the honest accounting of the state of affairs. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you already agree with somebody. It doesn't mean that you see everything that they see, but you at least take an honest accounting of the things that are going on in that relationship so that you can have a base level foundation to begin to understand where they're coming from and empathize what they've been through. It's, it's looking at things, not just personally, but corporately in the world around us and what's going on in our nation and what's going on in our world. Not that we understand everything, but we're saying, listen, I've got to at least take an honest assessment of the facts, not just what I think or my predisposed ideas, but an honest assessment of the facts so that I can understand where you're coming from and have some empathy towards you so that we can begin to make peace. Okay, good. Woo. Let me just say this. It is okay to, to applaud the truth as Jesus reveals things to our hearts. You're not applauding me. It's not like I, I, I'm getting something from that. But when, when you hear the truth and it resonates in your soul and Jesus is teaching us and equipping us, it's okay to woo or amen or come on, brother, or yes. Come on. Okay, yeah, okay. I mean, or, or my, uh, Pastor Robert, uh, come on, champ. I've been hearing that for, I don't know, 12 years. We've been saying that to each other. Ain't that right, champ? That's right, hero. All right, okay. So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, people who are peacemakers are going to be recognized as sons, children of God. God. Why? Because they're true children. Why? Because true children resemble their father. Just like when people look at my children and they see a resemblance with me. Or they see a resemblance with their mom. But Josiah in particular is one that people will look at and oftentimes they go, man, you look just like your dad when you did that. They'll sometimes say to me, man, you look just like Josiah when you did that. Just let me, I was here first. (laughs) Anything that he does that looks like me is from me if it's good. If if it's good, it came from me. All right. But he'll do something like that. It's like, man, you look just like your dad when you do that. Here's what I need you to understand, peacemakers, people of God, people in the church, that people would look at our lives and go, hey, you look just like your father when you live like that. 
You look just like dad when you live like that. Abba, Father. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, the people who have become children of God have the character of their heavenly father. And God is a God of peace. God is a peace-loving God and a peacemaking God. The whole history of redemption from beginning to end and where we end up is all about him redeeming us and making peace through Jesus' death, burial, and subsequent resurrection. God's strategy was to bring justice, to bring righteousness, and then to bring peace between us and God and us and one another. Hear this, there is no peace without justice and there is no peace without righteousness. At least not lasting peace, not biblical peace, not Jesus peacemaking peace. You can have a cessation of animosity for a little while but not peace. Peace between rebellious humanity and God and then between people who were once at odds and hated one another for no other reason except that it was somebody that you could hate. God said, I'm coming to break all of that down and create a relationship through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And as his children, we're to have the character of our heavenly father. What he loves, we love. What he pursues, we pursue. What he has made through Jesus Christ, we now make by the power of his spirit and that is peace. So what is one of the things that we almost constantly have to pursue here in this life? One of the things that we always have to pursue in this life is peace in our relationships. Am I right? I mean, it's like there's something almost always going on, whether it's in your nuclear family, your extended family, your spiritual family, your I don't work family, whatever. I don't call them my family. Okay, your work co-workers, Whatever it is, right, we do. I'm not talking about us. No, our, our, church, our church staff, we're family. Yes, we're family. We are. I'm talking about maybe out there elsewhere in other things. But as we think about this and we think about our relationships, we have to pursue because there's always something seemingly, some little irritant, some little problem, some little issue chafing at our relational behinds, right? Or our relational peace. And let's look at this through verse 43. We'll skip a little bit further down into Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And I want to look at, to gain a little bit more understanding and insight, how we show ourselves to be children of God how we show ourselves to be peacemakers. And it says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Notice verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Sound familiar to peacemakers? That you may be sons of God? Matthew 5, 9, the thought is the same where it says that we must be peacemakers to be called sons of God. Here we must love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us if we would be called sons of God, if we would be children of our Father God. The connection, it appears, Jesus is making is that Jesus thinks of peacemaking as all the acts of love by which we try to overcome the enmity and conflict between us and other people. Why? Because peace is active. It's not passive. It's not something we sit back and wait for somebody else to do. It's something that we are actively involved in as humans. As Christians, we're actively involved in making peace. So we have to overcome, as what is Jesus saying? Everything that you do, all the loving actions that are trying to overcome the enmity and the conflict between you and other people, that's making peace. 
And if we ask for specifics, well, then he gives us two examples. First, he says, pray for those who persecute you. I don't know if you've done that, but that's not easy. I know how often you pray for those who quote unquote persecute you, but that's not an easy thing to do. And we don't just throw off, hey, we're just gonna not pray. Uh, that's a prayer that I don't need to worry about. No, he's saying, listen, you pray. You pray for peace in your relationships. You're, you're not satisfied with being divided and you're not satisfied with conflict. So you pray and you're not just praying, oh God, change them. No, you're praying, God, change me. Start with me. Change me from the inside, God. And then I pray for them and I pray for their heart and I pray for our relationship. So you pray for peace for those who persecute you. Then Matthew 5, 47, Jesus gives us the other specific example of peacemaking love. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anybody else? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. What is Jesus saying? He's pointing to the fact that everybody loves people that are in their own group. Everybody loves people that are in their own tribe. Everybody loves people that look like them, act like them, talk like them, do like them. That's easy, big deal. That's what he's saying. That's not revolutionary. That's not radical. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, love being poured out. God's kind of peacemaking, he's saying, transcends every conceivable human boundary marker that we'll put up and throw up and tell somebody else to shut up or whatever it is. And it loves all persons, even those who have rejected him. That's what Jesus did. That's the kind of love Jesus is advocating for right here, which is the basis for the worldwide neighborhood of God in which Jesus' disciples have no enemies, is what he's saying, but consider all of God's creatures made in his image and worthy of their love. Worthy of our love. I love that concept of a worldwide neighborhood of God. I grew up a child watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and I knew that song well, like maybe some of you did, who are people in my neighborhood, and, and, and that, that might have been Sesame Street, actually, never mind. Uh, but I did grow up watching Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers himself, Fred Rogers, a believer. But the neighborhood in my mind was the people that were just kind of lived in our cul-de-sac or in our little neighborhood called National Hills. That's where I grew up. That was our neighborhood. And if anybody wasn't in that neighborhood or didn't look like they fit in that neighborhood, it's like they weren't a part of that neighborhood. And here's what God is saying. He's saying, no, listen, it's not just that little place around you. It's not just your nuclear family. It's not just the people that you like, but it's a worldwide neighborhood. It's everybody in the neighborhood of the planet. That's who's in your hood. That's who's a part of your neighborhood. In other words, if there's a breach, if there's a disagreement, if there's a falling out in one of your personal relationships or corporate relationships or in our world around us, then we have the ability or the power or, or the, the desire that God has put in us to do something about it, then we go and make peace. If somebody opposes you at every turn in your life and it seems they're always wanting to fight, he's saying don't avoid that conflict. Don't let your imagination run wild with you about that person. Hello? Did you know the more you avoid people and you let your imagination run wild, you begin to think things that are not even true about them or your relationship? Until you actually sit down and you see them face to face and go, man, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people face to face and the grace of God comes into that conversation in such a way that I don't say 99% of the things that I wanted to say before I got there. Y'all have all been like that. I'm gonna tell them, I'm gonna say this and oh, 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 I can't wait till I see them face to face. And then you sit down and Jesus hopefully goes all over you. Oh. Oh, you know what? I got to go to the bathroom. 
And you go in there and you cry and you pray and you're like, Lord, please help me. I don't know what I was thinking. And, and you realize that I, I, I've been thinking things that aren't even true. Don't avoid conflict. Don't let your imagination run wild and believe the worst. Actually, we should do the opposite. And certainly don't let a root of bitterness grow up to be a tree of hatred in your heart that you think about that person and then all other people that maybe are like that person in the same exact way. Don't feed the animosity by ignoring and avoiding the person or persons. Like we said last week, the natural thing to do is to avoid conflict, is to run from difficult conversations. Look, I'm with you. That's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. I want to run from them. I want to get away from them. But Jesus has said those that belong to him will go and make peace. Here's the other thing you need to understand, because I'm talking a little bit about personal conflict, but personal conflict breeds corporate conflict. Because conflict compounds. You can have a personal conflict with somebody and it'll compound. Why does it compound? Because we like to build coalitions of conflict. I don't want to be alone in my conflict. I want somebody on my side. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go try to get people on my side and I'll build a coalition of conflict and I'm going to compound my conflict and I'm going to have people that are mad at you that don't even, you don't even know. I don't know you. Yeah, but they're on my side. But the desire of the Holy Spirit is the exact opposite. The desire of the peacemaking God is the exact opposite. He who sacrificed his son to reconcile us to himself while we were still his enemies and at enmity with him broke down every dividing wall between us and God and one another, as Ephesians says, and it's for us to be able to press into being peacemakers. Peacemakers try to build bridges between people, not blow them up. And a lot of times what we find ourselves in our culture is we blow up the bridges between us and people that are different than us. And then we stand on the other side and continue to lob insults and labels from the safe confides of our keyboards in our house. That's not peacemakers. Peacemakers don't want the animosity to remain. Peacemakers don't like the tension of the of the destruction of our relationship. Peacemakers want reconciliation. Peacemakers want unity. Peacemakers want harmony. And so in this passage of scripture, it tries to show us how that happens by praying. And then also maybe the only courtesy an enemy will tolerate, namely a greeting. That's what he says. If you see your enemy, say what? Say, he say hello. What's up? And not like, I'm going to avoid. No, he's saying, you look them dead in the eye and you say hello. And he says this and you say this with a longing for peace in your heart, a sincere love, a preferring of that person that I'd rather run from by saying, listen, I still love you. I'd love for us to work this out. Not a fake smile that's covering up the hatred and the divisiveness in my heart. But when it doesn't work, like here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want some of you feeling guilty because you can't seem to be at peace with somebody who literally will not allow you to be at peace with them. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. Here's the reason why. Because the enemy loves to steal our peace with God and with others by making us feel guilty about a situation that we have done all that we know how to biblically do. And, and here's the reality. All of a sudden, we begin to lose peace in every other relationship that God's saying, well, if you just... Let go of that and press into this, that peace would be there, that peace that surpasses understanding. So here's what I want you to do, to walk in the freedom that Christ died for, to be able to live in the peace that Jesus said he left you with, the peace of God. In order to do that, listen up, do not mistake peacemaking for peace achieving. They're different. We pray, 
We take whatever practical initiative we can. We make peace, beginning with something, as Matthew 5, 47 says, as simple as a greeting. And a greeting meant a whole lot more in that day and age and in that culture than it maybe means in ours. But you know what it means when somebody warmly greets you and says hello as opposed to you see them and you know they see you and they turn and they run the other way because they don't want to talk to you. If it's as simple as starting with a greeting and you've done all you know to do, but in spite of all of that, we don't always succeed. A peacemaker longs for peace. A peacemaker works for peace, sacrifices for peace, but the attainment of peace may not come. It may not. Let's talk a little bit more about how hard we have to work with this other passage of scripture I mentioned in Hebrews 12, 14. Listen, you have to look no further than Jesus Christ to know he worked hard for peace and there are some that he could not be at peace with. Hebrews 12, 14, an interesting verse that encourages us to do this. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Author of Hebrews is telling us to strive for peace with everybody, with all. His implication, peace. And I'm talking about real, honest, genuine, not dysfunctional conflict avoidance, but peace. He's saying peace is hard to keep. It's hard to go and make. Striving for peace is hard. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war that has been going on since the fall of man and Cain and Abel and every other division and hatred since then all the way up into present day history and what we're living through in our world today. Peace is hard. It's a battle. That's why this is a kingdom of God paradox that we as Christians fight for peace. It's a spiritual battle and not with weapons that are, that are carnal, but with spiritual weapons, we fight for peace. The Greek word translated as strive is deoko. It's a strong word, stronger than what we can have really with our modern English understanding of the word strive. But it has the meaning of press, pursue, and persecute. There's a lot of P's there, a lot of alliteration. So maybe you can remember that we're gonna press, pursue, and persecute what? Here's how we can elaborate. We press on toward peace by any appropriate means possible. We pursue peace with intense effort and relentless determination. And what do we persecute? We persecute conflict, vigorously working to prevent or end sinful conflict and putting sin to death. We push, we press, we pursue, we persecute conflict. Now here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about contending for the faith. I'm not talking about fighting for justice. I'm not talking about confronting sin. Those are conflicts that we have to engage in in this life as believers for the sake of the truth and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of, the ju of justice for other people and they're going to cause conflict. They will cause conflict. But now we have to discern what is something that I need to go and change? What is something where I need to go and make peace? And the dis discerning is behind the conflict isn't easy. Uh, we've all been there. Like the, the discerning the chemistry of a conflict is hard. How much of what ingredient is going on in this conflict? And, and it tells me that this is a biblical uh, thing that I need to work on. Because what's legitimate concern that I need to work on? And what's fear that I need to take to Jesus? What, what is pride? What is jealousy? Or what is a misunderstanding that I think we can work out without a whole lot of work? In order to discern rightly what type of conflict you're in, it takes patience, 
endurance, forbearance, perseverance, wisdom, and love. Often just to get to a place where we can determine if a conflict is at its root unavoidable. And that's hard work and that's striving for peace. Man, let's just get it to the point where we have to go have the conversation or begin to do something. That's why a lot of us aren't peacemakers. We're like, man, that's just too much work. It requires a rigorous, disciplined commitment to do what James 1.19 says, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But most of the time, we are quick to speak. I'll say whatever I want to say, whenever I want to say it. We're not quick to listen. We're quick to, just, to get up our, in our minds how we're going to defend ourselves and what we're going to say in this argument. And we're not slow to become angry. We quickly get furious and upset and emotional. And so now there's no ability to press on and pursue and persecute conflict because we've already done all the things the Bible says we shouldn't do. It's unnecessary many times for us to be in some of the conflicts we are. What you're going to find is a lot of times many of our conflicts are unnecessary or at least unnecessarily hostile. We just haven't sat down long enough to look somebody in the eye, see the image of God, and let God do his work. So how far do we go? How long do we strive for peace with people? If we're honest, we've got to go further than most of us are willing or want to go. Definitely further than we think is necessary when our emotions are engaged in the conflict because when our emotions are engaged with conflict with someone, we're ready to jump off a moving train no matter how fast it's going. And listen, let's just tell you as a side note, those never end up like they do in the movies, like in a perfect roll and then I can't even roll over right now without hurting myself probably, but and then you just land on your feet like all is 50 miles an hour. I, I've never done it personally, but I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it's probably not that easy. And listen, I don't have to try it to figure it out. So what do we do? The Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. And, and, and what we have to do is we follow in his footsteps. What does the Prince of Peace, the Son of God do? He says, listen, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. How far did Jesus, the Prince of Peace, go, the Son of God, to make peace with us to his death? That's how far he was willing to go. That's how far he did go. As we said last week, Jesus made peace with us through the cross, through his death. That new covenant we have now makes peace. The new covenant of his blood makes peace with us between him and us and us and other people. So how far should the children of God go if we follow in the footsteps of our Savior, if we look like our Father, resemble him? How far should we go to make that same peace? And the answer is the same as it is for Jesus, to the death. What does that mean, Pastor? It depends on the nature of the conflict, first of all. But if we adhere to the word of God, I'm not necessarily talking about a physical death, although that could be a part of it, as many martyrs throughout history have proven for the sake of the gospel. But what I'm talking about, biblically speaking, is at the very least, it means to take up your cross daily and die to yourself. At the very least, it means what Colossians 3 says, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. At the very least, it means to love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor, as Romans 12, 10 says. It means bless those who persecute you and pray for those who spitefully use you, as according to Matthew 5. Live in harmony with one another. Never be wise in your own sight. Never repay evil for evil. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. Never seeking revenge when wrong. Treating our enemies with graciousness and compassion and so far as it depends on us living peaceably with all Romans 12 18 that's what I want to close with today 
as I land this plane, the last verse that I mentioned was Romans 12, 18, because what if we do all the things that I just mentioned? What if we strive? What if we die to ourselves? What if we do all of those things and it doesn't happen? Romans 12, 18 gives us a little bit of insight. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is the goal of a peacemaker. If possible, so far as it depends on you, here's how you can remember it. Don't let the relational fracture be your fault. I've done all I know to do. I've done all that God has shown me to do. I've done everything that I can to make this right. And remember, peacemaking does not always end in peace achieving, at least the way we anticipated or expected it to come. It doesn't. So I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I don't want you to feel condemned by that. Another valid question you can ask yourself, and I want to ask you so there's no confusion and we don't condemn ourselves today for doing justly and loving mercy, as Micah 6, 8 tells us to do as sons and children of God, right? Here it is. Is it your fault when the stand that you take for God is causing the division and the absence of peace or oneness? If you've hacked somebody off and experienced their vitriol and their wrath because you've done and said what is right in God's eyes according to God's word, have you ceased to be a peacemaker? I would say no, not necessarily. Paul said, if possible, live at peace. This is a caveat that there will be times when standing and fighting for the truth will make it impossible to be at peace with everybody. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I've heard that before. Our church is no different than any other church, no different than the Corinthian church. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's a terrifying passage of scripture for me. Paul would not have said that if he meant for the genuine Christians to compromise the truth in order to prevent divisions at all cost. That's never happened in the church, or at least it never should. Historically speaking, there's been divisions in the church because people were willing to not compromise the truth in order to prevent division. Oh, let's just all get along. In fact, it was precisely because some of the Christians were genuine, genuine peacemakers, that some of the divisions existed in the first place. This standing up for truth was causing some pruning to take place. It was causing some of the wheat to be separated from the chaff. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ in the middle of the conflict. Or we can say it this way, it is the presence of the spirit of truth, which is Jesus in the middle of the conflict or the lie. This is where Jesus and the gospel become offensive to some. This is where Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith and the church becomes a stumbling block for those who are blind to the truth and what God is doing in the earth right now. I'll go back to another passage of scripture that we mentioned last week just as a review, Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Hear me, church, and be encouraged. Really, no, be encouraged today. In other words, you must love peace and work for peace. 
You must pray for your enemies. You must do good to them. And you greet them with love in your heart and a desire to be reconciled. You long for the barriers that have been built up to come down and to be overcome. But listen, here's the encouragement. You never, ever abandon your allegiance to Jesus and his word and his ways, no matter how much animosity it brings down on your head. You're not guilty. You are not in the wrong. If your life of obedience and your message of love and truth and justice and righteousness elicit hostility from some and affirmation from others. It happened to Jesus. And he said, because it happened to him, it will happen to you. Perhaps it's just this warning that Jesus wants to sound when the very next beatitude says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. In other words, righteousness must not be compromised in order to make peace with your persecutors. When Jesus pronounces a blessing on you for being persecuted for the sake of righteousness, he is clearly subordinating the goal of peace to the goal of righteousness. James 3.17 says that wisdom from above is first pure and then it is peaceable. First pure, then peaceable. Not the other way around. This is probably why in the Beatitudes it was first blessed are the pure in heart and then blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because purity takes precedence over peace. Purity is the basis for, for biblical peace. Purity may not be compromised in order to make peace. This is what it looks like to strive for peace with everyone. Most of the time, I would say this, just so you can maybe take a breath and relax. Most of the time, conflict is avoidable. Most of the time. And whatever co is causing the conflict is far bigger in our brain than it is in reality. But... Not always. In the meantime, we should assume the best of others. That helps us avoid some conflict sometimes. Particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. That helps us avoid conflict sometimes. Also, your leaders in the body of Christ. Believe the best. Those that you know, believe the best first. And I can say this from personal experience, as probably every single one of you in this room can, where somebody actually believed the worst about you without ever talking to you. Or maybe they came and talked to you and they're still believing the worst. And you just had hoped that they had maybe believed the best first. I mean, I've had people in my lifetime of ministry that have said things like, well, I needed to talk to you just because I'm just glad to hear that you love people. Okay. I'd have preferred that you just believed that I loved people, but glad I could have swayed your fears. I just needed to know you listened to the Holy Spirit. Okay. I just want to make sure you read your Bible. Maybe instead we should assume that maybe Pastor Brent does love people. Maybe he does listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he does read the Bible and have people around him that love him and hold him accountable. Maybe instead, whoever it's you're thinking about, you should assume that it's not nearly as bad as you thought and you could be the one that has a misunderstanding. Or maybe you're giving into spiritual warfare that's trying to divide and distract and destroy your relationship. Basically, 
You should not enter into a conflict in order to make peace until you're clear in your heart and discerning correctly that it is unavoidable in a biblical sense. And even then, we speak the appropriate truth in the appropriate form of love, whether tough or tender. And then we push, we pursue peace while persecuting conflict to the death, the death of ourselves that's not like Jesus. We must die to anything that's not like him, but this kind of dying to make peace, Jesus says, is blessed. It's what the children of God do. When this happens, people will see the resemblance that we have to our heavenly father and in turn receive the peace of God in their own lives through Jesus Christ that they see in you that they so desperately need themselves. My hope is not just for personal relationships for peace, but for relationships that are bigger than that in our own community, in our nation, in our world. But that's only gonna happen if we biblically understand what peace is and we biblically undertake the striving and the hard work to be peacemakers. Amen. Let's pray, church. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.